get that down a little bit and uh, turn that. Robbie, can you hear me? Uh oh, he's not coming through. Just a sec. Oh, he might be muted. That that the muting doesn't help. Now, can you hear me? <laughs> I can, yeah. Yeah, you could hear me before too. I just couldn't hear you. Yeah. Okay. There we go. It was. I can only, a, think, it, of the, huh? I can only think. I can only think of the Lynch film when I hear that. Yes, exactly. That is the only thing I can think of when I hear that. So every time I hear any version of. Um, Blue Velvet, to, to me, it sounds sinister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no way around it. Did you see the film when it came out? Uh, what was it, 86? No, I'd have been five years old. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> well, this, this, this is... Uh, I'd have been scarred for life. Yeah, well, this is rather frightening. Did it come out in 86? Oh, my God. I remember people consistently walked out of the theater. I saw it about four times. I liked it so much I kept going to see it. I saw people walking out every single time. Significant numbers, significant meaning five, ten people would walk out in the middle of the, of the movie. <laughs> That's not, yeah, it's not, not surprising at all. I think I was about 16 when I first saw it as a film student at college. and. Ah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was. But again, we 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 watched stuff on a crappy, tiny little television screen with sunlight glaring on it, and you really don't get a good experience. <laughs> so I didn't come back to it until a few years later, um, when I'd more fully immersed myself in cinema, and then I absolutely loved it. Yeah, brilliant film. Yeah, um, Twin Peaks uh, Part Two is coming in what about two weeks here? Less than two weeks. I really hope he doesn't screw it up. Yeah, you know, every time somebody does a reboot or a remake or whatever, I mean, with the exception of probably Alien um, and a couple others that I can't think of right now, they don't tend to work. Mm. No, because although, yeah, I think in a way they're of their time as well. And um, but also even with the new the new cinematic technologies, like new TV technologies and the cameras that they're using now, the, the image on the trailer for the new Twin Peaks show, it looks too clear. It looks too clean. Um, there's hmm. not that, there's not that hazy, uh, kind of 19, well, early 1990s feel to it. TV in the nineties looks different to TV, TV now it's sharper now. And, and to, to me that kind of takes away from the, um, the mystery of it a little bit it's uh, uh that's maybe just a me being really really fussy but uh, it just looks different and it but i suppose it's got to be different because it's set decades later but um i don't I, i'd be amazed if they can recapture the the total genius of the first two series of twin peaks and at the same time lynch is a genius and the last film he made which was about a decade ago still amazing so hopefully he's still got it and um, I, I imagine he's going to screw it up too badly no, I don't think so. And he, and he um, <laughs> this is turning into a discussion about Twin Peaks, which is fine. I think he up, updates the uh, technology. He he had, he's one of those filmmakers that just adopts new technology and then does whatever he's going to do with that technology. That becomes his canvas. So yeah, so we'll see. Um, I'm excited about it though. Should I play the? I, I guess I should play the anti ETH opening because <laughs> that's kind of uh, what we're going to talk about here, although not totally. Um, and we will get into that as we talk about uh, this uh, new book. That actually, by the time this uh, airs, the book will be out. 
UFOs uh, reframing the debate. Here with uh, Robbie Graham. No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that, the, um, that, this, that this phenomenon is, um, comes, from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit the domain is also pure information. Are we uh, going to future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about... Radio Mysterioso. There we go. You know, it's it's weird that uh, actually I played that uh, opening, uh, my normal opening, because I noticed a couple days ago, Robbie, you put up a, a really a silly little. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you put up a little mock up of uh, of Plan Nine looking photo on on Facebook. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's opening uh, dialogue. There is truly some of the greatest ever written. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so brilliant. I love it. Um, yeah, I know. I'm a, as you know, I'm a big, uh, a big fan of saucer movies, old and new, especially old. Yeah, and uh, well, that one hit me when I was uh, in college. They were showing it on cable TV or something like that, and the the Golden Turkey Awards book had just come out. Like I don't know, five or six years before that, I read that, and I suddenly was in addition to the subgenius stuff I was into. I was all into really bad, stupid inept um efforts at anything and especially cinematically and that that it was a huge source of uh one um enjoyment but two as i later realized inspiration to me um, mm. even the 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 johnny depp movie the uh, uh, um i can't remember his name tim burton movie um that encapsulated ed wood, ed wood for me exactly the way i thought of him 
mm. just like everything yeah. sucks. I kind of know it sucks, but I don't care. I'm going to go ahead and do this because I know I'm doing the, what I should be doing. And it's like, wow, yeah. if most people had that idea, a lot of more cool things would happen. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Edward as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Actually, I saw that at work. Um, a couple days before it came out because we were transferring it and I was I I actually watched them transfer it through the whole thing because they got to change reels I sat there and waited through the reels I, I stayed at work four hours late just to watch it so it was uh, it was amazing to me um, well today uh, the first interview for the, the upcoming book uh, we're doing the interview for this upcoming book uh, UFOs Reframing the Debate with a uh, friend and colleague Robbie Graham I'll do a formal intro for Robbie, and I just pulled this straight off your site, Robbie, so please excuse me. Um, Robbie's lectured around the world on the UFO subject, has been interviewed by the BBC, Coast to Coast, Canal Plus TV, which is, that's French, right? Uh, it's European. This was a Spanish, uh, Spanish TV station. Oh, okay. Canal Plus. Uh, <laughs> Channel 4 and Vanity Fair, among many others. His articles have appeared in many publications, including The Guardian, New Statesman, Film Facts and Fortium Times. Uh, he holds first class, I guess that's a British thing, and a, basically a bachelor degree in film, television, and radio studies from Staffordshire University and a master's in cinema studies from the University of Bristol. I'm just kind of uh, putting in this into an, in a, into an American idiom, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, he's also the author of Silver Screen Saucers, Sorting Fact from Fantasy in Hollywood's UFO Movies. Uh, and that's from White Crow Books. That came out in two, 2015. And this, this new one, Robbie's the editor of um, The Captain, uh, Person Steering the Ship, and who uh, decided it was a good idea to put out a book called UFOs Reframing the Debate. And I completely agree with him. So welcome, Robbie. Thanks so much, Greg. I don't want to drop right into the let, – let's do sort of a normal show thing. Um, and when I first talked to you, I don't know, what was it, maybe a year and a half ago or a year ago, something like that, you sent me a lecture or part of a lecture that you'd done in, where was it, Holland? Uh, Denmark. Denmark. Uh, and I think you were lecturing about silver, silver screen saucers, but then you felt moved to say something at the end about the direction of ufology. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that really made me think, oh, here's somebody that I, I would really be interested to talk to. We did get into, you know, why the interest in UFOs in the first place, because uh, I guess you took two of your interests, um, media, cinema, film, TV, and uh, mixed that with the UFO interest for your first book. So what, what was the genesis of the interest? For me, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a so-called experiencer. I've not had uh, any life-changing, life-altering, life-shattering UFO experiences or sightings. I've had a handful, small handful of um, distant distant sightings of objects which you might loosely categorize as unidentified and flying um and uh but they were you know peculiar but nothing gobsmacking yeah um but for me i've always just been drawn to the weird and the wonderful to to paranormal supernatural ufological phenomena cryptozoological from a young age uh, i had books on you know all, all sorts of um uh I, I guess uh, unexplainable, inexplicable uh, phenomena, and then my attraction to UFOs, I suppose, intensified in my teens when I was around 14 years old, and, and then it really became an obsession for me uh, in my late teens, mid to late teens, and mm-hmm. then. Um, 
but but it, going back, I think before that, I've talked about this before in other interviews. There was a, an event going back in my childhood when I was about eight years old, where a friend of mine at high school, excuse me, at primary school, came in in the morning, and uh, he was the the talk of the playground because he was claiming that a flying saucer had landed on his car the night before. And uh, with his dad driving the car and his stepmom in the front, his brother in the back, and he said that on the way home they would, uh, you know, they, 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 this this big flying saucer UFO had landed on the on the car. And so when you're seven eight years old, I would have been seven years old, I guess, seven years old. This is 1988. You don't really know what to make of that, but it really does capture your imagination. And uh, I would later find out that he was sort of telling the truth in the sense that his family did have what would appear to have UFO uh, experience, um, one that was uh, documented by the UK Ministry of Defence. Um, years later, they released files um, ah. showing that showing that they did investigate the case, um, or at least they had files on it. Um, the police went to investigate because, at the time of the incident, um, the family were so shocked uh, by what they had seen that uh, they that they didn't know what else to do but call the police and so the police went out to them the next day and they um you know this was in the local paper and the family um suffered ridicule as a result as is so often the case with ufo experiences and um so so it wasn't until my late teens that i sort of went back to that case with a bit more ufological knowledge i guess you could say um and i sort of attempted to investigate it or reinvestigate it it was originally investigated by before the british ufo research association very poorly <laughs> and um uh so so i re-interviewed the original witnesses etc etc i was only sort of 17 18 at the time when i was doing this so i probably did a completely terrible job of it well i definitely did a terrible job of it well who does it the first <laughs> time out of course but um but it, yeah, I was enthusiastic. I was keen, and and of course, as as so many people are, when you start to first look at this subject, um, the 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 attraction is to the extraterrestrial hypothesis because, on the surface at least, it has great appeal and logic to it. Right. And um, and and I stuck firmly with the extraterrestrial hypothesis as an exclusive hypothesis for many many years. And um, and and I should say, you know, you 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 opened the the show t- today as you do all, all, uh, every every show with um, a quote by Jacques Vallée, um, where he talks about uh, paraphrasing, of course, where he sort of says, you know, it may very well be the case that that aliens are visiting us, but we simply haven't the basic work, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's that that's really the. I mean that's that's a profoundly true statement. Um, I to this day do not discount the extraterrestrial hypothesis. In fact, you know I may as well go out there and say I'd be really genuinely um, and and I say this as as the editor of the book, but certainly not speaking for any or you know all or or indeed any of the contributors. Um, all of the contributors have different perspectives on this, but from my perspective um i would be genuinely very very surprised if there were not some extraterrestrial component um to the ufo phenomenon um however i i what we suggest in this book collectively and and as individuals um those of us who do attempt to tackle the subject of ufo origins as opposed to say ufo ufology or the ufo subculture um what we do suggest is that uh the phenomenon likely goes very far 
beyond just extraterrestrial visitation. Um, it's far more complex and multifaceted than that. Um, so that's pretty much where, where I stand is that I, I, uh, a few years ago, um, leading up to the lecture that you mentioned in Denmark, um, I started to let go of, of my longstanding assumptions and beliefs about the subject. Um, did something that start that or engender it, or did you just kind of get tired of it and notice that other people were saying interesting things? People started to challenge me, um, and I guess I do listen to people. Um, uh, <laughs> There's something new and, and exciting, yeah. I, I, and um, what people say to me does does sink in, and um, if it makes sense, you know. Right. And, uh, and, um, As it should. And uh, yeah, well, you yeah, know, it seems like an obvious thing, but unfortunately, as we know, it's it's easier said than done to let go of, of long-standing, yeah, deeply yeah, held for beliefs. everybody. Yeah. Um, and so over a period of several, of, of maybe only two, or th- three or four years, I, I started to shed everything I thought I knew um, about the subject, and I started to see finally all of the um, many, many, many problems inherent in ufological practices, research, assumptions, um, I started to uh, realize that there was more to be learned from this by, by looking at ufology as a subculture, as a belief system, as a new age religion. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't, you know, when you, when you talk to people about ufology as being a subculture or a new age religion, they get very, very agitated, if, especially if they are hardcore believers, because they assume that when you use those terms, you are discounting the existence of a underlying right. phenomenon, right. which is absolutely not what I'm doing. Uh, and so, so people tend to sort of think you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater when you, when you use those terms. The fact is, ufology is a, is a New Age religion. Um, it is, a, it is a, uh, a very close-knit and insular subculture. Um, and these are, some of the, these are some of the angles that we uh, approach this subject from in this book, as I say, collectively and individually. Um, the perspectives are very, very different um, from from each contributor, especially for the first half of the book. People mm-hmm. spar back and spar back and forth between pro and anti materialist approaches. Some people focus on, um, the, as I say, on your on ufology as a subculture and as a religion, um, and highlight the need to to recognise it as such before we can even start to make sense of what might be underlying it. Um, so. But before I start to ramble on too much about that, I'm going to get I'm going to let you get me back to, to the question <laughs> that you asked. No, I mean you are free to ramble. I probably would have just pulled you back anyway. Well, you do talk about that your you know your ideas change based on uh, reassessing your your viewpoints yeah, no, by people coming up to you. Yeah, there was no, there was no. I would say there was no one triggering event that that made me. I, I did in 2013 I, when I started to kind of become seriously seriously disillusioned with the whole with the whole field it wasn't with the subject it's never no. with the subject it's with the field that studies it or attempts to study it um, yeah. and, I, and I think honestly that that gives ufology far too much credit um, because the ufology really doesn't attempt to study it at all um, and it took me a long time to realize this well the, um, the, the rank and file don't I, I guess there's bits and pieces of it that are trying to take it seriously and sure no, and ab- do absolutely. things in a systematic way i suppose yes yeah no i'm, I'm generalizing of course but yeah um and so i just started becoming incredibly frustrated disillusioned um 
And so in 2013, I wrote a article which I published on my old blog um, called Letting Go of UFOs. <laughs> and, I, and I wrote, and that was, that was really cathartic for me. That I didn't actually let go of UFOs until, yeah. uh, until I wrote that article. And it took several weeks and months for the effect of that to sink in. And it was, it was, it was, um, it was getting all of that out of me into, into an article and, and having other people react to it and see people's reactions to it that finally, um, that there was no, there was no going back after that really. Mm. So it's only been a, a several, it's only been a few years since I sh- drastically, drastically shifted my perspective on, on, on all of this. Um, and, and this, again, this book, this UFO's refer- well, first of all, Silver Screen Sources, which was written in 2015, that's the product of around 10 years of of research. Yes, six and it, years. Yeah, and it shows. I was going to ask you about some somewhat about that, but if you want to keep on reframing well, the debate, that's fine. Too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Silver Screen, Silver Screen Sources was was about six years in the writing process, and wow. it, and then probably about four years, sort of straight writing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during the, the hardcore writing process of that book that I started to shift my own perspective. And so ah. that was that was difficult. And so You can almost me, see it looking at the book from the beginning well, to the end. Well, I think you can a little bit, yeah, because certainly the end, I start to talk about UFOs from a cultural perspective in terms of hyper-reality, and I talk about, and I slam the disclosure movement in the end of the book, um, which is something I never would have dreamt of doing when I started writing the book <laughs> in like 2000 and, you know, whenever, 11 or whatever. Yeah. Um, 2009 was the research started in 2009 um but yeah so so there there is a sort of evolution in it but but it's it's generally holds together i think because uh i had the um the luxury in that book of not having to address ufo origins in any great detail the book is focused on hollywood's engagement with UFOs and the UFO subculture. Um, and so most of the analysis does relate to Hollywood's depiction of aliens because Hollywood simply doesn't depict UFOs as anything other than extraterrestrial, as- aside from literally a small handful of films scattered across six decades. Yeah. You could pretty much count them on one hand. Almost all of Hollywood's UFO movies, um, they, they, they go with the ETH um, and, and pretty much it's always hostile invaders apart from, again, a very small handful of films. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I engaged with Hollywood's engagement. And so therefore the focus in that book is extraterrestrial for the most part, although I do sort of question the extraterrestrial hypothesis at the start of the book, um, and suggest that it's probably far more complex, right. um, than just, than just alien visitation. Um, but, but yeah, this, this book, um, yeah, what was the genesis for this one? Why did you say, I think we need a book that uh, goes into the, some of this stuff in depth? I think it probably all traces back to the 2013 article that I wrote, Letting Go of Your Foes, which, was, which I needed to do. You know, that was kind of me. That was yeah. for me. Although. Yeah, I wrote one too for me. I only just published it, I think, in the in the book I just put out about, you know, it was basically, everybody has a screw you guys, I'm out of here, essay at least. Anybody that, I know at least three or four people that have done these, and invariably they've come back, but they've come back changed people. So um, this yeah. was yours. It was, and it, and it, it got um, quite a lot of attention when I published it, and um, uh, it was republished on a lot of sites, and it got a lot of quite you know intense feedback from people. 
some people really, really loved it and were applauding, and some people, you know, uh, attacked me for it, which was expected. Yes, of course. And so, so uh, yeah, th- that's where I think it goes back to about 2013. But then I started to, and then the following year, I delivered two lectures, one in Leeds, England, um, the UK Exopolitics Conference, which which was again based on my book. The, uh, the the lecture was based on my first book, Silver Screen Sources. But for the last sort of ten minutes, I slapped on a, 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 <laughs> a, 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 a an amended, updated version of my um, letting go of UFOs piece, where yeah. I was attempted to address the problems inherent in in, in ufology, and um, and it, I, you know, I, and I was quite blunt in what I said and I delivered that in Leeds for the first time in as I say in 2014 and uh, I was fully expecting to be booed off stage and I was very nervous when I delivered it mm-hmm. and um, to my and so in the audience were Steve Bassett, Richard Dolan, Grant Cameron and a handful of other you know big people on the sort of disclosure front yeah and um but the re- over- overwhelming reaction was extremely positive. Uh, uh, people were weeping and cheering and whistling, and, and I was just gobsmacked, to be honest. And a lot of people were coming up and saying, wow, I've been waiting to hear that for a long, long time. <laughs> I, and, and I thought it was really strange because this was an exopolitics conference. Yeah. You, know, this was, you would this think you would, you would be booed off. The, I said some of the same stuff, and people didn't quite boo me, but I had walkouts and people harumphing and making loud comments and – um, not not as coherent as yours, but yeah. well, I got some negative. I got some ne- negative comments as well, but the, it was audible appreciation from yeah. it, and, and so that yeah. really surprised me. Um, and then I delivered the exact same lecture a few months later in Denmark, in Copenhagen, for an, another exopolitics group in, in exopolitics Denmark in Copenhagen, and um, that was received more conservatively. <laughs> um, uh, but again, you know, some people gave polite negative. Feedback, and then other people said it was they they really appreciated it. Um, but it was the delivery of those two lectures as well, again, which consolidated all of the ideas that had been swimming around in my brain f- f- for the past sort of couple of years. And uh, and the, the you know I had written the ideas by this point, and I'd expressed them um, in lectures, and, and and they'd become very much a part of who I was now. And I sort of having to adapt to uh, yeah. When you're, you know, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an obsessional personality, and I think probably a lot of people who who are drawn to UFOs um, are. Yes. Uh, and um, so when when you've spent literally, you know, most half your life pretty much um, absolutely. Immersed. Enamored with, yeah, enamored with, immersed in, in in UFOs and everything that goes along with it, and the mythology. It, it does shape your view of the world, and it becomes a belief system, whether you want to recognize it as such or not. It does. And when you, in the space of a re- re- relatively short amount of time, completely shatter your own belief system just yeah. because you, just because for one, basically you sort of wake up one morning and think, God, I was so wrong, you know, or or that's just. <laughs> It's Either that or you're just like, there's this huge spectrum that I did not realize existed. Yeah, it's not, about being, it's not about being wrong. It's just about being, yeah, it's about seeing, you know, it's, it's about... Um, being intellectually honest with yourself, I guess. That's right. And uh, so the more I surrounded myself with people, well, like yourself, Greg, 
I like being challenged, and I like yeah. having my assumptions being challenged. Uh-huh. I, think I get a, I get a thrill out of it. I think. Me too. And that really i think what this new book is about for me from a purely self-indulgent perspective i see this book for me as a thought experiment it's a, it's a challenge to myself as well because you know i wanted to get as many contributors in here as possible who would um, not only challenge the average ufological reader but would challenge me even in my new assumptions and um right and i, and I wanted skeptical people in here i wanted uh I wanted people who would be brutally honest and, you know, I wanted to, to, to get to the end of this book and to read all of the essays and to think, well, have any of these essays furthered my own understanding of, of this phenomenon and of the field that seeks to understand it? Have any of these essays, um, you know, do, they, do, they, do any of these essays offend me? If so, why? What does that say about where I still am, you know? Uh, and, and, and that's what I want people to get from the book, really. I want people to I want people to be offended, but I want people to ask why they're offended. I want them to say, well, what is it about this particular statement in this particular essay? Or indeed, what is it about this particular essay as a whole that really does not sit well with me, that offends me, that annoys me, uh, makes me uncomfortable? Because you have to pursue that. You have to ask, you pursue that line of questioning because that's where you start to learn about your own deeply held beliefs. Um, and if you are, I think, um, annoyed or discomforted by a particular statement, paragraph or essay then i would suggest that you're perhaps deep down not very comfortable in your own beliefs about a particular issue uh, and, and then follow that you know see where that goes uh, and if it forces you to let go of a particular assumption then that's great you don't have to replace it with another one one of the things that i wrote in that essay that i mentioned to you a few years ago that was you know one of the things i said was i, I paraphrased the, the Dao de ching and uh, talking about you know how we need to empty our vessels mm-hmm. in order to in order to to truly understand, and uh, it's not about just <laughs> filling ourselves up with with uh, with more and more theories. It's about letting go of of, of, of things. It's about uh, being comfortable in a state of unknowing, um, and, and to to not grasp, to not seek to 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 hold on to to answers or to. It's about as you suggest in your essay, Greg. It's about. Um, Seeking to understand rather than to know, because I don't think the re- I don't think knowing is is something that's achievable when it comes to to the underlying nature of UFOs, at least not anytime soon. You know, uh, and some people are going to say, "Well, that's really defeatist." Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not. It, it, you, there are a great many things that we can it's learn. De- yeah, it's defeatist if you think that an answer is is uh, the most important thing, which that's a real tough nut to crack with most people. Yeah, and I, I think there's a great many things that we can learn from UFOs about ourselves, about ourselves as individuals, about ourselves as a collective. Um, and and again, this is this is a theme that's touched on and explored by several contributors to the book. You know, UFOs being representative of um, looking glasses that you know they 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 teach us about ourselves. And and uh, and who knows? Maybe that's if there is a purpose to the phenomenon. Maybe that's it. But or maybe maybe one of the purposes. But yeah, and we, that's we, brought up by multiple people in the in the text. It is, and it's not a book that seeks to um, to draw conclusions at all. And it really there are no conclusions to be drawn. And in fact, I state in my introduction to the book that there is no conclusion because I believe there is no conclusion to be drawn. And so I do not provide a conclusion at the end of the book. I leave it mm-hmm. open, and I want the reader to be uh, to be a little bit lost. To be honest, I want. <laughs> 
the reader to to engage with each essay. <laughs> I'm just laughing because that's wonderful. It's a, you know, it's it's exactly how I feel about it. If as long as I and everybody I know doesn't know exactly what's going on, I figure progress is being made. Yeah, it's it, this book. I mean, again, to 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 go back to the title of that essay I wrote. I, this book is about letting go. It's about letting go, and you need. And, and in letting go, you you really open yourself up to other. Well, you open yourself up to learning. Really, I think you you have to let go of, of preconceived ideas. Um, you have to challenge yourself. Uh, if you, if you if you just want to read a, another book about you know how disclosure is going to happen in you know 2020 and here's how it's going to happen and here's the implications of disclosure and here's the technologies that have been reverse engineered and here's if you just want to read the same stuff the same mythology that's evolved over the past you know 20 30 years which by the way is mostly traceable to um as you know greg because you wrote the book on it (laughs) traceable (laughs) is mostly traceable back to um military intelligence oper- operatives in yeah, the Yeah, a lot uh, of it. And you, you deal with that in Silver Screen, actually. That's another very strong underlying theme of the book. It is, yeah. And it, you know, it's not speculative. We can, we can pin it down very clearly. And Mark Pilkington was another one who, who really um, can take a huge amount of credit for, for clarifying all of that. Mm-hmm. And well, Mirage, Mirage Men. Um, you, you, you know, this is not speculation. We know that a lot of the mythology that we take that many in the UFO community take as gospel today um, is is the result of psychological operations um, and uh, and it's been just devastatingly effective yeah or the amplification the, of stuff that was there anyway yeah um, this and this is not to say that there's not some truth in in behind the mythology and undoubtedly there is no of course uh, not but the belief in it is what keeps everything back the un- unshakable belief in something that has not been examined. Uh, uh, as a personal belief system, which is you know gets us back to the theme of the book or theme of what came to uh, get you inspired to edit the book. That's right. So so as I say, I mean, really, I want people to be to be lost, not lost from sentence to sentence. Space <laughs> between essays. Yeah. I want people to to be you know. So that's why I've structured the book as I have. So that was one of my questions. A- like, what what's the philosophy behind the structure? Because the first two essays are basically diametrically opposed not diametrically but they represent two very different points of view yeah um by the way if we don't if we haven't by the end of this interview named every single contributor please remind me that we have not and i'll do so because we we need to make sure everyone's credited here we will do Um, that um so the book opens with chris rutkowski's um essay which is um called our alien who art in heaven and the title speaks for itself i think it's a very very um critical very excellent essay looking at uh ufology as as religion and um uh it's a necessarily harsh and very true piece of writing that i've put at the front as a challenge to the mainstream ufological reader because if you can get through that essay then you'll be fine for the rest of the book <laughs> this if if his essay but if chris's essay is so offensive to you to, to you if it's such an affront to to your ufological beliefs then that you, you you know that you have to put the book aside then the book is not for you um and that would be a shame because what the what follows that essay uh, is an essay by Mike Cleland who 
is a self-described experiencer who wrote the book the messengers the owl book as he calls it yeah. which i'm sure many listeners have read an excellent book um and uh and i wanted to have the book front loaded with back and forth essays you know, very traditionally skeptical essays not debunking not dismissive of right. of, of, of phenomenon no one in this book attempts to dismiss an underlying ontological reality um behind the ufo enigma um, no one does that at all. Um, but, but what you will find is a great deal of skepticism towards ufology itself, ufological practices and assumptions. And, uh, and we seek to rect- we seek to, you know, provide solutions. It's, it's, it's critical, but always constructive. And that was one of the things that I specified to potential contributors when they were writing their essays. I said, this should be critical, but it should always be constructive. And that's what it is. Um, so, so Mike Cleland is the second, um, essayist and his, his piece is is a direct contradiction, really. It's not a contradiction, but it's 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 very very uh, philosophically I mean, be, opposite to uh, almost of Chris Rutkowski's. Yeah, and you know, and and what you have is some is is Mike is very upfront and honest in saying that he cannot separate himself from his experiences. He cannot speak with objectivity, um, and that is of huge value when when you have an experiencer who's who's very comfortable in saying I cannot speak objectively on this, you know, take my word as a subjective experience, take my word for what it is that it, you know that of a subjective experiencer, mm-hmm. um, and and that's very valuable. Uh, but again, I wanted this this book to appeal to not just the the UFO crowd, but to someone who's never read a book on UFOs. This might be the first book you've ever read on UFOs, and I and I really hope that if this is the first book you've ever read on UFOs. Um, well, I, re- I really hope that some people do pick this up as the first book they've ever read on UFOs, because I think if they do, they will. S- they could potentially th- save themselves a decade of, <laughs> of, <laughs> of confusion and deeply held belief in, you know, in a very simplified, crude um, mythology, um, which kind of resembles a, a science fiction film. And uh, what we're dealing with, I think. And as as many of the contributors suggest, is something far more complex and multifaceted than just mere alien visitation. It may very well involve extraterrestrial intelligences in some form. It may very well. Um, but but if you go to grassroots reports and if you look at the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially even millions of grassroots reports, what you see is something reflective of something far more complex, far more interesting than and, just yeah, and far more hooked into. Um, us. P- p- us and our personalities and our perspe- perceptions and all that, then, then, yeah, that 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 simple aliens from another planet, um, which, like you said, may very well be true, but it's a lot more complex and nuanced and dealing with the we, individual. I think we insult ourselves as a species um, when we take ourselves out of the UFO equation and see it as something that's external and independent that happens to us yeah. rather than that involves us and that, right. in, and that play a part in manifesting even, mm-hmm. whether it be literally or, or even just internally and subjectively. Um, we, we clearly are a huge component in, in the UFO phenomenon, but we remove ourselves or popular ufology removes the individual experience or a witness from the UFO component and, and sees it as something as happens to them. Yeah, historically, you know? yes. I think some of that's changing and, and some of that is the vanguard of that is in this book. But I also noticed that, it, you know, the last uh, 
International UFO Congress, three or four people, including Ryan, who's one Ryan uh, Sprague, who's one of the contributors here, got up and said the same thing that uh, Mike said: the experience and the witness is important, and we have to mm-hmm. put more focus on the witness um, and what they see and what they say, rather than putting, you know, uh, placing a uh, predetermined uh, grid or whatever you want to call it on their on their experience in order to classify it. And yeah. I think that's part of whatever any new ufology is. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know if I want to call it that. But I yeah. hate the term. I, I should clarify. I, I hate the word, the term ufology. Yeah, me too. I hate the term ufologist. But we use it like a million times in the book because it's what we have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all we it's, have. It's what, it's what we're stuck with. But I think the very fir- pretty much the first line of the book or first line of my introduction rather is me saying there is no such thing as ufology yeah. <laughs> which is immediately going to or, or if there is then ufology is a broken twig or whatever but yeah. like immediately going to turn off a lot of readers this is like Thank fight club people have to come to the door and sit there for for three days until <laughs> in the rain until somebody says okay come in <laughs> I, you know i honestly believe in terms of, people refer to themselves as ufologists um but you know, some. <laughs> when I'm on a show and they say ufologist, I said I'm not a ufologist. I don't know what that is. And every, every time they go, "What? Huh?" <laughs> well, I, you know, so, uh, ufology uh, or an ology is a branch of uh, branch of um, supposedly of not, a scientific uh, discipline. Yes. Yeah, it's a branch of knowledge or learning sprung from organized research, right? Well, <laughs> if you apply that to to UFOs, um, I mean. Has there ever been organized research on UFOs in the in the modern history of the phenomenon? Has there ever been organized research? I, I mean, in, in terms of a, a group of individuals that can be – I don't really think so. It's been mm. in total disarray. Um, I think there total, has, but they've been small and not very long-lived. Well, small pockets from a, literally a small handful of individuals and one of whom – I think pro- probably the only person in the world, maybe there's two or three throughout history – um, who can claim to legitimately claim to call themselves ufologists in the sense that they've dedicated their lives in a very rigorous and scientific way and actually broken new ground to uh, to the phenomenon. I think uh, you're talking about the people like Jalen Hynek, Jack Valley, a handful of others, a small handful of others. Uh, McDonald, I think James. Sure, McDonald. McDonald, James McDonald, and, and there's a small. You, you know, you might you might find ten tops in. Yeah. in in history, mm-hmm. um, and almost all of whom are, are no longer with us. I think Jacques may be the only existing, maybe may the only living um, person who could claim legitimately to be yeah. a, a ufologist. That might be a, a clue there, you know, uh, uh, Robbie, that the fact that a group cannot deal with the thing on its own terms, but individuals can. Mm. I never really thought of that, but that's that. This goes back to this thing we're talking about as an individual experience. Maybe the study of it might be an individual experience too, which is which is frightening on a lot of levels to many people. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's oh, it's frightening and wonderful. Uh, that's that's pretty much you, that's pretty much UFOs, isn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Pull, pulled yeah, you so, off your point. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I can't even remember what, what was I talking you about. You were talking uh, about individuals throughout oh, yeah, so, history. So people people talk about themselves as ufologists, and they. They, they formed an identity around the term. Yeah. They identify themselves as a ufologist and it gives them purpose and meaning. And I'm not belittling that at all. I, I, I understand that mindset because I, you know, I don't think I ever considered myself, oh, I never considered myself a ufologist. But, Me either. But, 
but I but I knew a lot of people and know a lot of people who did who did and do, and um, and I and I could I understand that thinking. I get it. Um, but having an interest in something does not make you an expert. <laughs> an, in it. an expert in it. it does not make you an ologist of that right. subject. Having having a, a having an enthusiasm for something. It it, it just, I'm sorry. It just simply doesn't. Um, and uh, so so I. I you know, I try to shatter some some assumptions and myths and terms in in the first few paragraphs of of my introduction, and then the the, the contributors continue to do that in 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 their essays throughout the rest of the book. Um, to get back to Mike, yeah, Mike champions the role of the um, or the importance of the individual subjective experiencer, and his essay, in fact, is called "The Experience Is Important," um, whereas his his essay is followed directly by Jack Brewers, mm-hmm. um, the author of um, The Greys Have Been Framed. Um, and Jack Jack's perspective is, is very, again, it's very, uh, it's very, it's in stark contrast to, to Mike's. And, and Mike is saying, yes, the importance of the, the role of the experiencer is extremely important. And the testimony, rather, of the experiencer is incredibly important. Whereas Jack starts off by saying pretty much, I'm sorry, but the the testimony of the experiencer, the individual subjective experiencer, is almost worthless. Um, <laughs> and he he then goes on to to talk in quite some detail about why that is so, and he makes a very good case for it being worthless. Whereas Mike also makes a very good case for it being of huge importance. Right. And so you so you might read Mike's essay and think, wow, I could really really relate to that. I really got a lot of of, of stuff from that, like that. You know, I feel like I'm I'm on a path to understanding here. And then you'll read Jack's essay straight after and think, huh, well, that's completely contradicting everything I've just read. But it also seems to make some sense. So where am I now? Like, what am I meant to believe? Well, the point is you're not meant to believe anything. But the UFO mindset is such that you have to reach for a particular beliefs, a belief system. You have to reach for a particular set of ideas and grab it and hold on to it and, and, and let that define you. This book is is saying just forget all of that. You'll you'll think you know. Um, you, you know you might think you're making progress in one essay, and then you'll think you know that like, this is it. I'm on the right path now. I get it. And you read the next essay, and you'll think I'm completely lost again because it's completely contradicting the one that's come before. But it also seems to make a lot of sense and it makes a lot of good points. Uh, and then by the end of the essay, again, um, some people in in the book were asking me if I was going to do a conclusion and summarize everything. I summarized people's essays in the introduction, but I didn't want to do a summary of conclusions because I, I just don't think there are any conclusions to be drawn, any meaningful conclusions to be drawn of the phenomenon. Um, and I want people, as I say, I want people to be lost. I want people to finish the book and think I have, I'm really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> a lot of my beliefs have been challenged. Um, I hate this guy. I hate that guy. Like I hate. I really you might think I really hate <laughs> such and such. I really hate Greg Bishop because of what he said in his essay. Um, <laughs> uh, or you might think I really might might really like Mike Clellan because of what he said in his. Or some people might think oh Mike Clellan's a, a, a Looney Tune. But you know, Mike <laughs> uh, won't mind me saying that. Um, I, you know, I love. He's every had far essay. worse thrown at him, so don't worry about I, it. I love every essay in this book which is why they're in it um and i opened the book with um chris and, and mike because I, their essays are so compelling 
<laughs> and um, and Mike's such a great writer. He's he writes in such a way that he just it's like he's talking to you directly. Yeah. Which um which I think is really welcome in this book because you know it, it's as you'll see um it is uh it's 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 a heavy book and and it's it's not an academic book but it's a scholarly one and um a oh, lot that's of the a great essays, description of it. A lot of the essays are are they're dense. They're not you know they're not easy to get through. Mm-hmm. But I encourage, I encourage you to try, to try to get through them. But Mike is uh, is, is a wonderful writer in that sense. He's, he's like he's talking to you very conversationally and directly, um, and that sort of flows you nicely into the book. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So so I mean, the book covers a, a, a huge amount of thematic territory, um, but again, it draws no conclusions. And then the idea is that by the end of it, you are you're at least encouraged to be thinking. As I say in the introduction, I want you to think outside the prison of belief, but beyond the razor wire of scientific dogmatism, and that's right. pretty much, you know, where we're at. Which, uh, yeah, which with the UFO study, that that razor wire, I think, is composed of strands of both, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, sorry, go on. No, I was. I, I wanted to. Uh, you know, we we can go through these point by point or we can just jump around which i probably would prefer no yeah you well i was gonna say i'm a rambler greg so you you rein me in and and um no i'm a rambler too the the other thing is i don't know you know different shows do things different ways uh mine is ramble for as long as you want until it sounds boring and then i interrupt that's basically how it goes. And sometimes I just interrupt because I have something oh, I interesting to say. But if you've been going for five, three or four or five minutes and I interrupt, it either means I'm, one, either want to ask something because I think there's something relevant there, or two, you're becoming boring and I would rather change the subject. And two, does not happen very often at all because I self-select people to be on the show who I would like to talk to and are not boring. So don't worry if I interrupt you. <laughs> That's just the way the show goes. Yeah, I was going to ask you, it's like saying, do you have a favorite child? But not, that's not even the, the question. I think, what do you think are some of the more, I don't know, the, the things that really stuck out for you as, wow, this really needed to be said. And I think that, um, you know, these are, the, these are the things that, that stick out to me. Not necessarily my favorites, but, you know, th- here's an issue that has not been brought up, I think should be front and center, or at least be part of the debate and hasn't been uh, well, previously. Well, I make a distinction uh, from a film studies perspective yeah. between favorite and best, ah. and uh, so so I feel comfortable in being able to, to say I have a fa- have certain favorite essays among the, the bunch, which isn't to say that they're better than any any others. Yeah. Um, they just flatter your prejudices, exactly, yeah. um, or they speak to me on some personal level, you know, and and yeah. and so. Um, I do have I do have a couple of favorites in terms of content, tone, you know, general direction um uh, but again this is not to say that they're better than any others at all i think they're all of an extremely high standard yes um, i mean they, they were a few of them were um rewritten and edited not edited but rewritten and and uh, and uh changed and uh um, shaped into something uh, that they weren't at the beginning with very close super not supervision but uh just kind of an eye towards what you said clarity um and uh getting people excited or even upset about ideas i think that was the main idea in the book but yeah um i mean so well we'll get 
to yours because I, I mean, how much time do we have, Greg? As much time as we like. We can well, usually I do a two-hour show, but we can do thirty minutes. We can do one hour. We can do three hours. I do not care. We will talk until we're tired of talking, <laughs> or okay. one of us has something to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I I think your essay is, you know, uh, in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think your essay is, is hugely, hugely significant. I think it's one of the most. Um, Cut it out. No, sir. I mean, <laughs> so, um, and, and, he, and I'm sure most people reading it will, will agree. I think what you've done there is is really, uh, it's it's incredibly progressive. It's uh, actually, I think, moving things forward rather than just, um, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you're taking complex cognitive theories and you're applying them to to this mystifying subject and actually starting to make some sense out of it. And it's, a, you know, it can't have been a, an easy task to do. Uh, we did not talk about this, by the way, beforehand. Don't anybody listening. I, I, <laughs> I had no prompting. I was not fishing and go ahead, Robbie. I'm sorry. No, seriously. Um, it's, 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 it's really made me, it's really made me think very differently. It's actually, it's, uh, and, and I, 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 I can't imagine that anyone would read your essay, Greg, without seriously reconsidering a lot of a lot of what they had um, taken to be true uh, and concrete about the subject. Uh, I won't talk about your essay. I'll, I'd like you to talk about it, um, but I think it's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, probably one of the most important pieces of writing on UFOs. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe ever. And I'm not just. I, I'm making a face right now, but thank you. But in addition to that, uh, you know, I'm a, so I'm a big fan of uh, like I really li- I really like Chris Rutkowski's essay just because it's so like I mean it challenges me. I think it's it, it, it annoys me a little bit. Um, yes, me with, too. But I really enjoyed it. But I really enjoy what he's done there, and it's so necessary yeah. um, the stance that he takes. And it's and what I what I say in the introduction is, you know, read read Chris's essay, um, accept that it might not be in line with your own perspective, but read on and <laughs> ask yourself, in all honesty, if, if any of the statements he makes are objectively untrue. And I think the answer that you'll find is that they are not, uh, and that's why it's so important. Yeah, if you're um, totally honest, no, they're not. Really, and it, it's kind of hard to see that and go, well, yeah, you know what? You're, I guess you're right, even though I don't really like to think about that. And that's exactly what we need. Uh, and then I really like, I really like Mike's just because it's such an inviting piece of writing, um, and it's very personal. It's a very, it's a very personal perspective mm-hmm. that he that he provides on that same theme. The, the final essay in the book, and one that I've ended it with, is, is Robert Brandstetter's um, piece called um, "Finding Our Humanity in the Alien Other," and uh, that to me is, I, I think, the most profound, um, profound, not into, I mean, intellectually, but but personally profound essay in the book, and and I. I to be honest, it moved me to tears twice on reading it. Really? <laughs> it's absolutely stunning piece of work. Um, yeah, that's funny. There's like these brackets around the around the book. One of them is, you know, stop thinking you're so special and please reexamine what's going on here and don't think that, uh, you know, yes, it is, it is a belief system and we have to recognize that. And then you go to the complete other end of the book and there is a completely committed belief system. And not in a way where you know he he doesn't he he realizes that it's a it's 
you know, it's not even belief system. It's more like it's completely subjective. Yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of recognized. I mean, again, I, what Robert has written is so, so profound. I wouldn't want to try and, um, try and summarize it in a, in, in some sound bites here. I, I encourage people to, to read it. Um, but there's, there's so much in here that's, that, that so many different people offer. Again, in terms of, I wanted people to cover the overlapping of UFOs with other paranormal parapsychological phenomena. And mm-hmm. we have several essays in the book that cover that very well in, in a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, I uh, think Josh Cutchins does that. Josh does. Um, and so does, um, Sue's, um, Sue, um, Demeter St. Demeter Saint Clair, Saint Clair yeah. uh, has written a has a, written a detailed piece on um, parapsychological overlaps with with UFO phenomena, um, and because this is again this this is this falls into the high strangeness um, aspects of the of, of the subject, and uh, Lauren Cutts wrote a, a, a great um, essay. Uh, where he said, uh, entitled, uh, almost everything you think you know about UFOs is wrong. Yeah, and, about the uh, gap between fact and belief. Yeah, he talks about the UFO mythological zone, as he calls it, this gap between fact and belief and and sort of, you know, in the absence of concrete evidence um, for, for UFO origins, agendas, etc., or, you know, um, what the underlying ontology is without concrete proof of anything along those lines what we are left with is our own beliefs and uh, we feel that we simply fill in the gaps and create a mythology and uh, he he expresses this beautifully um, in his essay and it's a very critical very easy to read piece um, and he doesn't pull punches it's a very critical piece critical of ufology mm-hmm. As, and, and that's the you know we need to, if we're going to make any progress, and let's face it, we really have not made any significant progress no. uh, in, in 70 years. We can't draw any concrete conclusions today about the underlying nature of UFOs. Um, you, like, we, don't know, we don't know any more today about what UFOs might represent than we, than, than we knew in 1947. I and mean, we, we simply don't. We're, and, we're, and, and many of the same theories are still dominating discussion. Yeah. And, and so that's not really progress. If you're still talking about the same ideas as you were 70 years ago, and you're no closer to having, um, having proof of, <laughs> of the, uh, of the of external, the uh, yeah. Uh, proof, uh, uh, proof of the theory in some sort of external repeatable, um, uh, sure. classifiable way. Yeah then I, I'm not sure you can claim any progress. And uh, so as I say, but anyway, going back to what I was saying, I think this book for me is really a challenge to myself. It's a challenge to see what I actually do believe. You know, do I still, I, I told myself I'd let go of UFOs in the sense that I'd let go of my attachment to the belief system or I'd let go of um, my need to believe certain things about a mystifying phenomenon, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, and when you do that, you let go of a part of your identity and your ego. Huh. Yeah. It's difficult to come to terms with, honestly. It's not something you can just go, oh, I'll, I'll just change my mind on that now. Yeah. It takes a long time. And, uh, and, and this book, I have to say, is, is part of the process. I think it's, it's the, the last act of me letting go. Um, and I'm letting go through my, through, through my presentation selection of essays that will challenge me. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully challenge others. And uh, wh- why not 
make yourself uncomfortable you know why not and and, and if you if the essay, if the book pisses you off fantastic but just read it yeah like nothing to lose you might be listening to this thinking god this is really not for me i really don't <laughs> want to read i really don't read. and I'm, i've no doubt a whole bunch of people are thinking that i really don't want to read this book this sounds like you know intellectual acrobatics self-righteous pretentious crap and maybe it is and, and, and maybe and you know what there's probably some truth to that right I, I haven't thought of it that that's been like a what's that thing in the back of your mind hintigada whatever the the G- german word for it the thing that you think about but it doesn't ever really come to full consciousness <laughs> that is exactly what i've been thinking about the books like is this thing kind of like an elitist little kind of it is but it is but the point is that what have you got to lose by reading it? So just accept no, that. If, nothing if, you, really. if you think if you think that's what it is, and let's it, honestly, I'm going to say it, it's more than it's a lot more than that. And I think you'll find I think anyone will find some reward in reading it. What, whatever your perspective, I think there is something in here for everyone. And that was the whole point. This, the contributors represent the, the full spectrum of of approaches, I think, and beliefs. Um, yeah, you don't even have to read all of them. I, I don't. You don't think. even have to read all of them. No, or in order, uh, I, I, in fact, just make, making you feel uncomfortable because of the order you put them in. You don't even have to read them in order. It's kind of a you, it's it's you can treat it as a um, buffet if you like. You can, yeah. And um, so, so, so you know, you may have a really clear idea in mind of what this book is actually about based on the the cover or the blurb or what we're talking about here. That may be the case. I, I encourage you to read it anyway. And because what what have you got to lose? You know, you might come away thinking, ah, oh, slash, that's made that you know that one particular sentence in that one particular essay has made me think about this in a slightly different way, and that's that's something gained, you know. Yes. Or you could just go and read the next book, you know, by I don't know Michael Saller or whatever. Yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> oh come on, that's an easy target. <laughs> Not for, not for many people, Greg. I mean, it's, I, was, I don't want to get into personal things, but and I don't know Michael Sala. I'm sure he's a lovely man. but um, He is a wonderful he, man. He just has uh, very strange ideas about – you know what? I, I will say one thing about Michael Sala. One time I got in a discussion with him on the old UFO updates list. And I said, where did you f-? – he mentioned some fact that he, that he had found. I said, where did you find that? And his answer was, uh, I said, how do you come up with these things? He goes, well, a lot of people have problems with my method because it's not based on um, uh, multiple testimony or verifiable facts. And I said, you (laughs) actually said that out loud? Okay, okay, I understand now. But but Greg, that's ufology. That is – that's ufology. That's what ufology is today. And that that approach, um, that's – people are fine with that, you know? And that's why – there is no ufology in any meaningful sense of the well, term. Well, that's fine. You know what ufology is, and it's not called ufology anymore, is what's coming out of the the uh, um, the grassroots at this point. Um, stuff like this book, or occasionally you'll see an article or a blog post, or a, uh, somebody is starting a group, at least quietly, and that's what ufology is now, I, I believe. I, I think it's it's a good direction it's moving in. Yeah, I think I, I I am noticing a change. I'm noticing a shift. I have to say, and I think that we are headed in a slightly different, more encouraging, um, more critical direction uh, yeah. over the next decade. And, I and, would hope. And strangely enough, this non-critical—I mean, this critical direction is completely non—I mean, sorry—is completely democratic in its yeah. best in its best uh, 
moments, I believe, where it, there are no controls or somebody saying, this is what ufology should be. And we are the, you know, there's no sort of, uh, you know, star chamber about where what is right and what is wrong. Because I think, and I'm, I'm going to stick this on a t-shirt, and I've told you this, um, uh, mimic the obliqueness of the subject. I think yeah. that's the only way to get around a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to, as I said, I wanted to mention. Um, oh, we'll keep going. That's the, fine. The the uh, the contributors to, you know, who, who, all the people who have made this book. Um, oh yes, we must. You know, so because and and for those who don't know, so this this has um, been the product of it. It's, it's come together pretty quickly. I have to say, it was about a year ago that I started to write to people. Uh, a little little over a year ago, probably in March of of last year, April last year that i started to reach out to people um and see if i could attract enough people to put a volume together mm. and um so that's what i did and obviously it's been narrowed down. it's been we've 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 whittled it down to 14 contributors uh with an intro by me and a forward by diana Olsh-Pasolka, who is just like a genius anyone knows her but she, yeah. she's a um, frighteningly intelligent person yeah, she'll become a big, a very big name over the next year or so, because uh, she's got a book coming out through Oxford University Press about UFOs, which I believe will be the first uh, ever and probably the only UFO book that Oxford University. <laughs> yeah, Diana is um, a professor of religion and uh, chair of the department at um, North Carolina University in Wilmington. So she's written a, a brilliant, a brilliant forward for the book. Uh, she did actually write. An essay. I'm sure she won't mind me saying she did actually was she was one of the original contributors to the book and she did write an essay for the book, but um, she had to check the content with Oxford University Press, and uh, they were not keen on her essay being in this book because they felt that she had too effectively summarised her whole thesis in in her essay in this book before her own book was to be published, and so they felt it was a bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. They objected to it, but do very kindly at my request incorporate the core themes of her essay into her into her forward so it's all still there and she's done a great job of it yeah we started off i approached about 24 people whittled it down to 14 15 with diana i think that's a good number it does have quite a clear focus and objective one i thought that was fascinating to me because i was sort of in the not in the trenches but saw it as it was happening was uh, Kurt Collins re- recounting of the Roswell slides uh, so episode ahead. and what happened during it and exactly almost a point by point minute by minute account of how the Roswell slides were basically exposed as just being a picture of a mummified Indian child with within about something like what four hours of when they got a when they got a, a clear picture I love it um it's strange because so so Kurtz is very very focused. It's it's the most focused and specific essay. It, it, its topic is exclusively the investigation and debunking of the so-called Roswell slides, which were. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people listening will will have some familiarity with the absolute farce that unfolded with those slides and the people who were involved in promoting them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Kurt was was part of the team, the Roswell slides research team who uh, basically took it upon themselves to to work as a group online for the most part to expose what was very obviously at least i mean it wasn't obvious to everyone but it, but it certainly there was a there was very good reason to suspect 
the mundane nature of the the, the yeah. origin of the photos. Yeah, they took it upon themselves to, to because they thought you know like if this this wasn't a vicious act on their part. This was about oh, no, not at all. Like I said, I saw it unfolding because I was I was in the group. I just didn't do anything. It's about trying to uh, expose the truth. You know, you might not like the truth. Yeah, the truth, the truth of a you know of a of a mummified body a mummified two-year-old boy in a museum is not as exciting or appealing in any way as the mummified body of an alien but it is the truth and and if if you recognize that to be the truth or have good reason to believe that it is the truth then any serious ufo researcher should try to to get on board with with that investigation or at least support those conclusions um i talk about the roswell slides in the book briefly as as being everything that's wrong with ufology today you know they they representative of everything that's wrong with ufology today it's um blind belief taking people on a fantasy ride and it takes a few grounded level-headed skeptical researchers and it's a skeptic who saved the day here you know yeah yeah and not and not in in a vicious way just kind of saying this is how this is what we found this is exactly how we did it you can do it yourself try it with no attitude no calling anybody names or anything like that just kind of like (laughs) very straight out this is the explanation that's what i admired about that effort and so what Kurt? So I so I watched all that unfold, and I watched. I was watching what Kurt and his his um, colleagues were doing as well, and 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 they did an absolutely brilliant job. I think I suggested he might do it, and then he wanted to write something else. Kurt can correct me if I'm wrong here. And then eventually we came back to the Roswell slides idea um, for the book. And so what he's done is he's just written a, the definitive accounting of exactly how he and his colleagues. Um, expose the truth of, of those slides and uh, it reads it, it's it, like you say this huge huge amount of detail in his essay like minute by minute hour by hour kind of thing in some cases yeah. and uh, but it reads and it's and you would think that it'd be very very dry and very and, and frankly quite dull about something that's you know about one slide that's being discussed online <laughs> but the, the way he's written it, it it reads like a true life detective story where where the, where these guys are up against the clock to try and show what they know to try and prove what they know um, and reach a consensus about what they've concluded and what they've shown and what they've revealed yeah. um, before before the promoters of the slides the charlatans um, had the, had the opportunity to 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 you know to flash these slides around the world and to uh, you know and, and at that point as they say the damage would be done because any debunking efforts after that point would be a uh, you know would fall on deaf ears because people are only going to see the headlines in newspapers about an alien body people don't really want to read the debunking article that comes out 2 days later right. so they realize the huge damage that would be done to serious ufo research if these slides were allowed to go out there and questioned and they did a huge service to serious ufo research by exposing them as fraudulent and um, not fraudulent, but well, exposed. I, yeah, the I did. It did happen at least a day or two. They didn't even receive the uh, cleaned up or clear version of it that they could clean up themselves until the day after the large reveal and the big thing in Mexico City. That's how I remember the timeline. But it was yeah. almost immediately after that. That's right. It's almost like a kind of roller coaster ride of an essay. So yeah. I really found it fascinating i've read it multiple times um and, and it's it's so so i thought that that would have huge value in this volume because 
up until now, no one has written a definitive in-depth minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day accounting <laughs> of exactly what happened there. And I think it has real historical value. Um, yeah. uh, you know, years from now, people can look back on this and, and, and go to Kurt's essay here and recognize that as being the definitive um, accounting of, of exactly what happened there and, and how it was exposed. So I thought that had real value in the book. Um, uh, I, I'm a big fan of MJ Benias's essay in the book. Uh, yes. He talks about capitalism and and the ufo um he's been exploring this on his blog recently the same the same topic mm-hmm. um uh he does it in a probably slightly more focused way in this in this book and he just makes some again some absolutely brilliant brilliant observations his essay won't be for everyone I, i'm sure it won't be for everyone but i think a lot of people will uh, at least some people will, will really think wow that's quite like you really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and I think one of the most profoundly true statements that he makes in his essay is, uh, he says, I'll, I'll quote him directly so I'm not mangling his words, there is no future for ufology and UFO discourse <laughs> as a whole in the, main, in the mainstream. Yeah. He says, if a grandiose extraterrestrial contact event occurred tomorrow and the UFO question was forced into mainstream ideology, which is a capitalist ideology. Ufology would die an instant death as the entire subject would become quickly negotiated into the general sciences and therefore into capitalist ideological structures. If we assume that the status quo is maintained and there is no public announcement regarding potential extraterrestrials, then ufology will remain where it is, which is true. It's, it, it will remain on the fringes. It will remain as a subculture, which is what it is today and which is what it has always been. And it can never become legitimized and enter into mainstream discourse. It, it, well, because, because capitalist ideology is completely um, opposed to everything that ufology represents. And, you, and uh, MJ talks about ufology as being um, completely democratized subculture and, and, and belief system where you've got a free flow of, of ideas um, between different different corners of the camp, I guess, yeah, and, with, uh, with with no filtering or anything whatsoever no between them, yeah. exactly. and nobody in charge, which is perfect. <laughs> and uh, and so, in that sense, it's hard for capitalism to uh, to capitalize, I guess, um, <laughs> uh, beyond at least beyond the, uh, the the kind of the the crude. Hollywood engage, Hollywood's crude engagement with it, which can be profitable, of course. Um, but in a literal sense, it's hard to, like in a direct literal way, ufology is very hard to, to capitalize, as any UFO, <laughs> as any UFO author will know. Yes. Because uh, you know, and you always get you always get people like hardcore debunkers say, "Oh, you're in it for you're in it for a quick buck." Good God! I mean, yes, you, I, I wrote I, an essay about this where people were saying, you know, you're in it for the money and the girls, and it's like, what? <laughs> if you're I, that's I mean, your made, yeah, if that's your you're, you're really barking up the wrong tree if that's your motivation. I mean, yeah. Granted, you, you probably people like Timothy Good have made a reasonable amount of money off um, some. Be- if you have a bestseller, you, you can make a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, Rich Dolan and 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 uh, Strieber then, and those people. They, they. Well, yeah, but even then, you're not talking. You're not talking about a lot of money, and I, and I know, I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, you're not talking about a lot of money, and you. Have oh to no, none more. of these people are rich. Um, no, they're not. Not off of UFO uh, books, anyway. So I don't know how. So yeah. So it's. But um, so yeah. Any any UFO author can testify to the fact that <laughs> that uh, capitalism and, and UFOs don't really gel. <laughs> um, but um, 
Yeah, I've actually got a bunch of quotes here. We start. I start the book with selected quotes from some of the, well, from every, from yeah. all of the contributors. Yeah. That's almost sort of, an old-fashioned thing to do. Remember, they used to list the chapters and tell you what each chapter was in b- books mm. published before about 1920. Um, mm. This is kind of and a I, modern version of that. Yeah, so I just I just selected thoughts from each essay, two thoughts from each contributor, mm-hmm. um, which most which spoke to me, um, and which I think in a way summarize their own their own essays um and so i mean do you want me to read a couple i won't read them all but do you want me to read a couple you know who we let me see just a second we we haven't mentioned um read a couple of your favorites also we haven't mentioned uh micah miles um red oh, pill so many. let me just read all red the names pill and ryan now. yeah so our complete our complete lineup of uh contributors are in in the order of their essays, Chris Rutkowski, Mike Cleland, Lauren Cutts, Jack Brewer, Joshua Cutchin, Mike, uh, Micah Hanks, um, uh, S. Miles Lewis, uh, Kurt Collins, MJ Benias, Red Pill Junkie, Miguel Romero, uh, Susan Demeter St. Clair, Ryan Sprague, uh, yourself, and Robert Brandstetter, who I'm pretty sure almost no one will have heard of <laughs> which is again uh, an indictment of of your of, of, of the ufo field because it's my experience that the best minds in the field are not in the field they are just slightly removed from it looking in on it with a uh, a healthy puzzlement and and uh, infuriation yeah and uh, some observe- of the best ufo books are one-offs yeah and uh, you know, so, so as I say, some of the some of the most like people I've ever spoken to on this subject are completely unknown to to most people in the UFO field, um, because uh, I suppose because they don't proclaim, they don't um, throw neatly packaged conclusions at people, and uh, oh yeah, or advertise people- themselves really. So yeah, uh, and so we've got some of those in here. I mean, so at the same time, I think a good number of the names in this book are recognisable to to people who who are in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at the same time, they're people who don't typically get big platforms, or or, or who um, or any who platform. are platforms, or who are not who are just simply um, that their voices aren't heard loud enough. And uh, and so I think that's that, that's what I wanted to do here. I very consciously did not want this book. To be a collection of essays by big, big names. No offense to you, Greg. You, you are you are one of the biggest names in the book. No, like, I did not. No, I'm not. To a, <laughs> this to be a collection of of, uh, of you know I won't name the names, but we all know the names. Because what's the point in that? It, no, no, that, that that that's a marketing strategy. We're trying to. We're, I think what um, we, meaning everybody in the book, is trying to do is to just the title, reframe the debate, give people some. Something to to hang on to, something to push the discussion or ideas or research in a different direction and see what comes out of that. Because nobody in this book says, if you do this, everything will be great. If you do this or take my suggestions, this will, you know, ufology will go enter a new golden age and we'll get all the answers. Nobody says that. What they're all doing is saying, consider this stuff here. And I think, what, you know, when I write something for myself – a lot of the things I write is more like, here's a buttload of suggestions. 
if somebody can pick up one or two or three of these suggestions and take it even further than I've ever thought, that'll be wonderful. I, I, you know, to, to clarify to, to listeners who are still completely baffled as to what the hell this book is about, and I'm sure there are. <laughs> we, if we were to give it an alternative title, the book rather than UFOs reframing the debate could be called UFOs We Don't Know. Yes. Or UFOs We Have No Fucking Clue. Yes. And that would be the name of the book because that's really what everyone, all, all of the different contributors say. We, we just really don't know. And, and and you know what? Neither do you. And if you think you do, you need to address that. Yeah. One of the things that I find interesting is that, uh, as I say, I'm not I'm not an experiencer, so I I can only talk about this from a I don't know. No, I don't think anyone can be completely objective. Everyone brings their own beliefs and prejudices and worldviews to this. But but I'm objective as in, in the sense that I'm not an experiencer. Um, but I do know a great many experiences and have spent as everyone in this book has and as many people listening will have had, you know, many in-depth conversations with, with experiences or you may be an experience yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been my experience that <laughs> lifelong experiences, <laughs> to repeat that word again, sim- although they've undergone life-changing, hugely complex events, they themselves do not understand what they've experienced. They attempt to understand it and the dominant discourse within the field shapes their understanding of it, but they themselves struggle to understand what they've experienced. They seek to understand it. Mm-hmm. They desperately want to understand it. And that's why easy, neatly packaged conclusions are appealing to them. Um, and I'm not being patronizing here. I know because many of the experiences that I've spoken to tell me directly, I do not understand what I've experienced. And, even if they are convinced that what they've experienced is representative of some non-human intelligence, even they can't be so bold as to say, I understand, you know, I understand exactly what these intelligences want, what they represent, why they're here, how they operate. Well, the ones that think they do are the ones you hear from. It's the vast, you know, un, uh, uh, what silent majority that go, I have no idea what's going on. I do really don't know. And some of them, they don't want to hear from a UFO researcher what they think happened to them. No. So, so what, you, what we have here in this book, before, because I, I want you to talk about your, your essay a bit, Greg, if you would. What, what we have is... Yeah, you, can, um, you can question me about it, which is fine. Uh, it is, it's a critical but constructive examination of the many problems inherent in current ufological practices and assumptions. And it's I describe it <laughs> in the in the end sentence of the uh, of the introduction is a cold hard slap in the face for ufology delivered with love yes <laughs> and and that's what that's what it is yeah. and and because you know it needs a good slap and and uh and a lot of people will be thinking no it doesn't and Robert, you need a good slap and maybe maybe that's true maybe i do um, but I'm sorry. I know that I know for sure that a lot of people will be listening to this saying, "Yes, ufology does need a, ga- a damn good slap," and um, we're doing it with, you know, we're not doing it viciously. We're doing this because we we care about about this subject, and we do recognise that there is something potentially profoundly significant underlying it, and underlying whatever this phenomena represents. And so, it's critical but constructive. We are not focused on trying to solve what ufos are that is just not the focus of this book we right. explore around the edges of 
the actual phenomenon. We kind of tread around the edges of the actual phenomenon um, and we look at overlapping phenomena as well and ask questions about what this could mean. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the role of the experiencer, of the witness, of the individual, what they bring to this, or as you say, what do they bring to the dance, Greg? Um, and I think the answer is a very great deal, as you'll as you'll talk about. Um, but also, you know, we, we sort of say, well, what are the main problems focusing, uh, facing us in terms of methodologies, uh, in terms of investigation techniques, um, I- even in terms of, you know, witnessing, a, a, excuse me, interviewing a witness, you know, how best to interview a UFO witness, how, how best to, to avoid contamination of testimony. Yeah. Uh, I think Micah talks a little bit about that in his, in his uh, essay about the applying, sti- applying science. Does yeah, and some of these, several of these essays are very, very rooted in in traditional scientific methodologies um, and scientific method. Jack Brewers, Micah Hanks, others are as well, um, and they offer very practical, pragmatic solutions uh, to some of the the problems that are flagged up. Uh, you know, this isn't just about saying, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. It's about saying this is problematic. How do we address this? Mm-hmm. And for most, solutions are offered. Um, we, and I think that's that's why this has value. It's not just a well. I repeat myself. It's it's critical but constructive. Um, but we 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 are not at all concerned with trying to solve the riddle of UFOs. Um, but we are trying to ask different questions than are currently being asked. And at the same, but again, I want to st- stress that a lot of the questions that we're asking have been asked. Well, indeed, most of the questions that we're asking have been asked multiple times in the past. Yes. Um, but. Rarely have those questions ever been um, thrown together in one volume. Yeah, with such way with that, such concentration. So, so, uh, so I, I think that it has value, and I hope other people will will find that too. We'll talk about the the last two. We haven't really addressed. Well, actually, Ryan's we haven't. Uh, Miguel's and uh, Miles, and Miles yeah. actually takes takes the view that all of these things are. Um, not all of them, but a great deal of them could be legitimate, and his his basic idea is kind of a uh, multidisciplinary approach. That's right. He he advocates for a, you know he he suggests that, and I completely agree that we are dealing with a multifaceted phenomenon. Phenomena, um, you know, we're not just dealing with one thing. It could be it could be aliens. It could be aliens and uh, you know psychically manifested projections from the subconscious it could be uh, a combination of those and time travelers and government sponsor you know and, and government funded um black operations technologies psychotronic psychotropic uh, technologies that that you know it could be any and all of these um and and i think i think probably well i don't know about time travelers <laughs> but i think that if you were to take even a fraction of the um of ufo testimonies um seriously that have been recorded over the decades uh it's very clear that the phenomenon represents something far more complex than than just alien visitation alien aliens visiting us in in metal spaceships and yes but again i don't again i don't discount that and i know that you know i want to say as well that i i really appreciate the contributors in this book for getting on board with it because i know that some of the contributors will cringe at some of the essays that are in this book <laughs> i think they already have <laughs> you know yeah um, I, I i know that well, i mean i can say the names i mean you know people people like kurt collins or or um or chris rutkowski would cringe at some of the essays in in this book but they 
I, I I thank them because they've they've been you know they've they've lent their names to this to this and they and they know that their essays stand on their own. They know that their essays um, add value to this because they they are in sharp contrast to some of the perspectives mm-hmm. and there's value in that. So so I I think it's it's unusual in that sense as well in that you have got quite skeptical pieces um, literally back to back with 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 ones that are. Um, well, not <laughs> so, so, that yeah. are more that take some of the they're more all re- skeptical. Yeah, well, that takes some all of the more, yeah, exactly. Say, take some of the more quote unquote ridiculous things seriously as something that we should we should pay attention to. Yeah, and that yeah. that's something that's been you know self selected out of a lot of reports uh, a lot of the times. Like that's just so silly that we're not even going to include that, um, mm. which I argue is the you know uh, could be the linchpin. But I'm uh, I'm going to stop going on because I've spoken like way way more than I planned to or wanted to. Um, I told you how long the show was going to be. I thought. And, I'm and, sorry. Oh no, but just because like I, I just rant. But well, um, there's there's two others you, I, I mean, want to talk about. Ryan's. Okay. Um, oh yeah, Ryan. Ryan Sprague's and uh, Miguel's. Miguel's is a sprawling epic, um, <laughs> and it's actually that's one of my favorites just because of yeah. The, First, because you start reading and you're like, you you wonder what the hell he's doing here, and then he very, it's like having a predator or some kind of something very slowly draw you in. Yeah, I think, and a lot of that's to do with the, how how brilliantly he's written it. He's the style of his writing is is really really wonderful, very very literary, and it's it's, it's again, it's a very personal piece. What 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 Miguel has has, has done there, and he. He talks about like one of his quotes. I think is really nice. Where he talks about, um, he says, "I have successfully turned my lifelong obsession for UFOs into my personal alchemy, encouraging myself to pursue questions I know full well are without easy answers, and to grow both intellectually and spiritually for it. To assume one is certain of the phenomenon's true origins and intentions at this stage is beyond arrogant. It is childishly naive." <laughs> and, and another one of the themes that he that he explores. Um, well, one of the themes he explores is overlap with um, Sue's um, essay, which is um, the idea that some UFO, large-scale UFO manifestations may be um, projections, um, psychic projections, I guess, um, either of individual individual psychic projections or collective societal psychic projections in times of stress or trauma or societal upheaval, mm-hmm. and they present this theory in their essays and explore it. Um, uh, but also Miguel says, he says, empires bloom and crumble to dust, and yet the mystery of the UFO lingers still, for it is perhaps not a puzzle meant to be unlocked by a consensus, but confronted and dealt with by each and every one of us when the proper time comes. Um, this is a theme, again, that's explored by Robert Brandstetter in his essay, where you know this, this idea of using the UFO as a symbol um, uh, and recognizing its true value as a symbol, not discounting its objective ontological reality, but but realizing that actually it potentially is more useful to us as a symbol, mm-hmm. something something that reflects something of ourselves back at us. Um, and so that's that's a recurrent theme in in. Um, but his is a very, yeah, it's a brilliant brilliant piece, and it's also brilliantly illustrated because he's provided um, three original. Uh, illustrations for that essay. Yeah, in um, addition to designing the uh, the uh, cover, he's also he's also at the last minute um, at my request. I've really worked him to the bone um, on this. 
me as a result. He did a brilliant illustration, a satire piece for Kirk Collins' essay um, about the, uh, the the Roswell slides. And at some point, I guess that will probably be shared online once the book is published. Um, and uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant piece. I think it'll probably go viral within the UFO community. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, but- I think I know what you're referring to. I think I've seen it. I mean, Miguel has played a huge, huge role in 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 this book, and and mm-hmm. yourself and Miguel have been my two, um, two. I was going to say bouncing boards, but that really does not do it justice at all. You've been my co-editors, really, to an extent. I mean, you've you've been a uh, a pro- proper sub-editor for me, Greg, and um, and Miguel has uh, has been there on pretty much every artistic decision that we've made, and and has forged all of the art for the book and it just wouldn't be what it is without you two um so you've played a huge huge role in it and i really you know this is what i say in the introduction as well that uh, everyone who's who's written for it have just shown such huge enthusiasm and passion for it that it's 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 impressive and it's touching I've, i'm really taken aback by it mm-hmm. um, i just you know, everyone has been really really properly behind this project and uh, and i've tried as much as i can as editor to try and make it inclusive and to make people feel like they've been part of something. It's not just that I've taken their essay and slapped the name on it and then yeah. published it. No, it's a, it's a conspiracy of, of these, uh, of all the authors, um, uh, with you in the front with, uh, holding the, holding the Molotov cocktail. So <laughs> it's just, I was thinking, how is this book going to be received? And I think, um, you're going to see a good number of one star reviews on Amazon. <laughs> unavoidable you've already but, gotten but, one i think uh oh well i've already had some hate mail but yeah but yeah <laughs> but but you'll see i, I i'm sure it's, it's a book that you're either going to love or hate i mean it is it's going to be a book that you will either absolutely love or you'll absolutely hate um and well, that's I, based I on people's personality now just like the ufo thing you see what you read into it i mean you feel like you get out of it what you read into it and what your personality pulls out of it but at the same time, I think you'd be probably disinclined to even buy the book if you uh, if you want your you know if you don't want your debate to be reframed, then you're not going to really, you're not going to buy the book anyway. So exactly. you can't be really surprised at the content. Um, and then yeah, Ryan's essay um, if we, and and also if we mentioned if we mentioned uh, Josh, I'll lays out um, a very bold argument for. Um, approaching ufos from an anti-materialist perspective um and you know and, and again a very 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 well written and, and showing that part of uh, some of the latest well not latest but latest uh discussions in scientific circles actually um support a right. quote-unquote yeah. non-materialist uh uh, exactly. Approach, which I yeah, thought exactly. was a very valuable part of that essay too. Instead of just saying, "Well, we don't have to be so scientific about it," it's like, "Well, you know what? Some science is actually moving to support some of these ideas and to to a place where it can maybe meet the phenomenon uh, in a way where where a scientific uh, trained mind can look at it." That's it. He lays that he lays that out very very clearly and makes a very compelling case for it. And we've got so, and, and and in Ryan's as well. Ryan's is. Um, touches on some of the themes that you explore in your essay which you'll talk about in a minute hopefully um sure. ryan touched, ryan touched on it ryan's is, is concerned with with again what we bring to this you know um uh trying to look beyond the eth without discounting it but 
looking at what the experiencer brings to um, to the UFO event, um, the role of consciousness, and um, he he also met, I think sort of has been slightly in, uh, influenced by Robert Brandstetter's essay as well, and to an extent Diana Pasolka's, and also bringing his own um, his own ideas. Um, and research uh, to the table as well, where because Ryan's book um, somewhere in the skies is focused on just really giving voice to the individual UFO experiencer to the yeah. UFO witness, and again, sort of in like, a way like, that hasn't really been done before, unless you're writing about your own experience. Exactly, sort of literally just letting them speak for themselves and and le- allowing the uh, the reader to uh, or the listener to to draw their own conclusions and and and, and uh, and so that that has that huge, that has huge value as well, and um, but I think Ryan Ryan has a way because Ryan has quite a a very accessible style of writing and talking as well, and so what he does is makes some very complicated ideas, uh, he crams them into some nutshells I think, which is much needed at some point in this yes. book, <laughs> and makes them comprehensible and understandable to. Um, uh, well, hopefully to, to, to most people, um, your essay is um, complex. <laughs> and uh, I was clearly- writing at the edge of my my understanding, which is it's like it's like being it's like going on a spacewalk to me. It's like, wow, this is really, really scary. And I really want to do it because when I'm done with it, I'm going to be really happy that I did it. And I can come back with that with a way to do a better spacewalk next time. <laughs> kind of how I thought about it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say very quickly before we do that, because I, I think we only mentioned Micah's briefly. Mike, Micah is his, Micah's essay is very ambitious. Um, and again, it's kind of firmly rooted in the scientific method and, and in more traditionally skeptical scientific approaches to, to UFOs. But it's, it's, it's uh, quite old school in the sense that it, he's focused on trying to put forward a completely new classification system for ufos um mm-hmm. arguably yeah the existing one um which we've had in place for many decades sort of fashioned by Heineck yeah. and expanded by others and he's is, not saying is, this is the answer he's just saying let's try this for a while and see how this works it, it may bear some fruit exactly um and, and sort of you know because and this is it as i say the essays they, they spar back and forth between between quite anti-materialist ones where we're sort of saying well we need to look beyond we need to sort of put traditional scientific methodologies to one side for, for a moment not just you know not poo-pooing them but sort of saying you need to sort of like i say move beyond the razor wire of scientific dogmatism at times recognizing that science doesn't have all the answers at, the, at, at present but then we have other essayists saying well yes that's all very well and uh, you know the, the, the anti-materialist approach is all very well and good but at the same time there's, there's really no um replacement for traditional scientific approaches and 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 if we're to to make any legitimate demonstrable recordable objectively verifiable progress we need to 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 really engage in in recognized scientific practices and uh and so what micah has done here is this is very very proposed a very very detailed new classification system for ufo reporting and and that in itself has huge value i think you know and and uh, we'll see if if that has any traction but it's uh it has huge value in the book and so what we have with um with your essay is uh yes ask what, away what, i don't I'm, I'm, i can't extemporaneize on it but i can react to whatever you want to say 
okay, so let me maybe um, quote you uh, <laughs> from your, the, the pieces, the stand-up quotes from your essay for me were, uh, how much do we bring to the dance during a paranormal encounter? In other words, and in this, and in this sense, I'm, I'm, this is me now, you, you're referring to paranormal as encompassing UFOs. Yes. How much do we bring? How much do we bring to the dance during a paranormal encounter? In other words, how much of the UFO experience is the result of our subconscious minds trying to make sense of unexpected, startling, and or frightening input and leaving us with an insane placeholder when it can't decide on anything else? That's one question. <laughs> The other one is UFOs and anything walking out of them are never expected and always strange. In the act of first experiencing the event and then, more importantly, in remembering it and telling the story about it to ourselves and others, we are adding many layers of cultural baggage and other input that help us to make sense of the experience. In, in so doing, we are taking ourselves step by step away from our original impressions. So your essay is really very much focused on on uh, what the experiencer brings to the ufo event and and which is why your essay is called the co the co-creation hypothesis yeah uh, go ahead well do you want to say the full title of your essay it's a big, long, um, pretentious title. The Co-Creation Hypothesis, Human Perception, the Informational Universe, and the Overhaul of UFO Research. I think I'd, re- I'd probably, in hindsight, take out that overhaul of UFO research because it's so presumptuous. I think I put it in there because it, uh, if you engage, engage in some um, – uh, what's it called? Bra- not braggadocio, but um, what's the word? When you overstate your case, it helps people become interested in what you're talking about. Well, it does, but it, it's not. Um, it, it is. It is applicable because if people were to pursue this line of research, uh, this line of inquiry, rather um, more seriously in the future, and I, and I really think that that people in the UFO community need to get to grips with this, because then it could very well lead to the overhaul of UFO research. At least it should do, or part um, of it. At least part of it, yeah, not all of it, but, but certainly part of it. People seem to want to externalize all of this and see it as something that's happening to us. We are passive experiences. We are not participants. Although, you know, obviously experiences do see themselves as participants. But, yeah. they're still, they, but most of them still see themselves as participants in something that is happening to them. <laughs> yeah. That they don't have a choice in. Um, and so therefore they have no, op- no option but to be participants because they then feel more empowered. Um, uh, but, and I realize that's a generalization and that doesn't apply to all experiences. And some, some experiences listening to this will strongly disagree with what I've just said. And I respect that. And I, and I, and I, I recognize that I'm generalizing here. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, do you want to summarize in <laughs> 500 words? <laughs> Go. In uh, three words is, I don't know. And in a few more words, <laughs> a few more words is that, you know, over the last few years, um, I'll give you some background. Um, in during my shows, during these shows, for about a year or two, I was just bashing UFO ufology sucks. We shouldn't be doing this. I mean, you know, just complaining. After a while, I realized that. That is very easy to do. It's very easy to complain, poke holes in things, say people are stupid, you're on the wrong track. What's a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging and therefore more exciting is to try and offer some sort of solution or at least something that's not a complaint. So 
you know, in the midst of talking to everybody I've talked to, all these people on my show, all my friends, um, Robert Branster actually um, very, very importantly pointed out to me that uh, a lot of UFO research, or at least the research of talking to people, involves people telling their story to you. We tell mm-hmm. stories in certain ways. Stories have to have an internal logic. So if you if you know once something that doesn't make any sense hits the human brain, the brain says, "Let's see, you know, this is completely insane. I don't know if I want to deal with it. The only way to deal with this is to try to make some sense out of it." So that's already one layer that's been laid, laid over the top of this. Your brain trying to make sense of this. And then as Robert pointed out to me, you keep telling the story to yourself and other people. And every time you do that, a couple little more layers of this seems to make more sense to me comes in, whether you vo- vocalize that or not, or write it out or whatever. So one of the main points of the essay, at least half of it, uh, is, like you said in my quote, how much do we bring to the dance? How much stuff are we adding to that experience when it happens? How much does a witness add? And is there any way to clear that out? I don't know if there is. I mean, that's something I address in the essay, too. What, you know, how, how do you separate the the experience or what is experienced from the person that had it happen to them. I, I don't know how you separate that, but in the midst of trying to figure out what that separation is or isn't, maybe we would get a little, you know, different picture of what's going on and, and that the interaction may be more important than, than the brain recording something as a, like a tape recorder or a video recorder or a film camera would. It's, Mm. it's, um, I I think I'm trying to deconstruct what's going on with us to try and see what's hiding behind that, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. And then at the and, and then at the end, I, I've become very interested, partially because of Jacques Vallée and a few of his lectures and essays on because he's a computer scientist, so he's very interested in information. So. He mentioned the in one of his I think one of the TED talks I think meant, there's two of them online somewhere. He mentioned you know what's weird about my essay I don't mention Valet once, and I feel hmm. kind of bad about it. But yeah, I, well, I, he's he's mentioned enough throughout the book to to uh, for you to not mention him. I think he's mentioned forty eight times throughout the book. Yeah, because he's he's basically the godfather of saying wait a second here let's step back and figure out what's going on rather than rush headlong into um let's find out where the aliens come from and everybody in the book i think is interested in that but that is i mean yeah that that to, sorry to interrupt very briefly there's okay. that in a, in a nutshell that is what i've been trying to articulate for the past hour and a half or whatever it's two hours rather <laughs> uh is that this that's what this book is in a nutshell it's it's wait a minute let's just not let's just take a minute to pause and ask what what does this actually mean? What the hell is going on? Did that you know? So so that's what it's about. It's about just not. It's about not drawing conclusions. Yeah. And uh, but his uh, talk on uh, information theory to me, information theory is what quantum physics was and quantum uh, quantum theory was in the twenties and thirties. Yeah. With, with the added you know on top of that, now we've got incredible ways for getting ideas out to people very quickly. Um, if this had, if somebody had come up with, and also it's a it's a product of our time. There was no information theory in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. I think it just started. At little inklings of it started in the 50s when computers were starting to be developed. But um, we did not have the background for information theory. Just as as I pointed out in the essay, we did not have the background for 
um, looking at the universe as a clockwork series of interlocking gears or whatever, like they did in the uh, when uh, in, in the I guess in medieval times or in the Renaissance, or looking at it as a as a huge heat engine like it was in the nineteen in the in the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries, because that's where science was. Now science, or at least um, theorizing, is at the point where information and the nature of information is has become an entire branch of theoretical, I don't know what it's called. It's actually the book I'm reading, The Information and the Nature of the Universe, I think, or Nature of Reality, a series of essays. And one person points out that physics attempts, says that it has the best view of reality because it deals with the very basic building blocks of the universe, you know, atoms and and molecules and uh, you know the Higgs boson and muons and quarks and all that. Um, mathematics thinks it has the best view of, of of reality in the universe and what we're made. You know what 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 our reality is made of because it says that mathematics takes language and all this out of the equation and and looks at it in the elegance of just numbers where you don't have any you know you don't have to make interpretation and everything can be explained and predicted through numbers. Information theory fascinatingly enough to, to me, says that the entire fabric of reality is made out of information, just pure information. And in the, in the fact of, and this, it has some qu- uh, parallels with quantum theory, is that in the act of us existing in this field of information, that we order that information into the physical universe by our observation of it and existing within it. That is a very, very simple explanation uh, uh, you know, information theory for dummies, which is what at the level I'm at right now. And to me, I think that has a profound implications about the UFO subject because, and I think this is something Volet said, that in a physical universe, in a universe described by physics, UFOs are kind of weird, improbable, and probably impossible and silly. And in an informational view of the universe, they're almost a, a they're an inevitability. Mm-hmm. Those are things I'm trying to um, pursue right now, and I want to write, you know, I want to continue after this book comes out to write uh, something that explores those even further and makes my brain further melt down and, and turn into a pile of quivering uh, protoplasm because I can't think anymore. But I, I would, I'm really excited to do that spacewalk again, you know, further out from the spacecraft and see what happens. Well, I really do hope you pursue it and expand what you've done here um, because, as I say, I think. Uh, for me this is one of the most exciting avenues to explore now um and it's just a shame that it's not been explored uh in more detail more seriously in in the past i mean i know people have touched on this and uh and yeah nothing uh, i say is really new really but nothing anybody says is really new it's just that you're taking other people's ideas and expanding upon them which is great that's how progress is made Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So so I mean, I, I I just I was blown away by your by your essay and. Uh, um, oh, thank you. And I hope uh, you know. I, I but as I say, it may, it may not be to everyone. People may think, huh? I look, read it and think, huh? What I don't, what I don't get it, or I don't think there's any value in that whatsoever. But <laughs> some people, but but you know, some people might then look at another essay and book and think, yeah, really, that really speaks to me a lot. But but I think it's it's not so much about the essays that speak to you. It's about the ones that annoy you. I, I you know, and, and I say, and I say, I say in the um, in the introduction, you know, if if these essays irk you ask yourself why if at any point you feel yourself riled or annoyed 
ask yourself why and not just as a, a throwaway question but really pursue that why what is it what is it that someone has said or written that has really Bothered ruffled you. your feathers yeah. you know what is it yeah and, and and what does that say about where you are what does that say about what you believe and about the strength of your belief yeah the minute you the second you have an emotional reaction to something i think that speaks to do you have like you just said do you have a emotional attachment to something and not a factual attachment to it and and further do you need an emotional or factual attachment to something um or do you are you okay with just throwing ideas around and not caring where where they lead or what, right. what your belief system is or anything um maybe forever it's fine to not make a decision on something forever I mean, people are already getting annoyed about this book and expressing their annoyance about it before they've even read it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just talking about I'm not, I'm not just talking about the one person that we know of. It, it, there's others as well. Um, so, you know, if, read, read it, <laughs> read it. What have you got to lose? Well, maybe you've got to lose. Maybe maybe you stand to lose some of your, you know, cherished beliefs. Maybe that's what you stand to lose, and maybe that's why it annoys you. Um, Maybe not. Maybe 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 we're all just a bunch of dickheads, and maybe that annoys you. Maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe. but give it a read anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so you know what's what's missing in a lot of this, and that, that that happens a lot. That has happened a lot during this show and during my shows, and I think is very important is people laughing. Oh, okay. You've got to be able to laugh at this crap. You've yeah. got to be able to laugh at the silly parts of it. You've got to be able to laugh, <laughs> most importantly, at your own self-importance. Mm. Um, these are all important because I, I think all these ego things that go into, in, well, just in life, but especially in this UFO thing, are standing in the way of any understanding. Mm. Just this, you know, I, I try to cultivate, and uh, I don't know if I think other people do this too, try to cultivate this almost Zen-like I do not care what the answer is. All I care about is interesting ideas and people saying interesting things to me and exciting me with their, you know, with their, with their um, intellectual prowess. And uh, even if I don't agree with them, I mean, if, if somebody's if somebody's smart and I don't agree with them, I tend to listen to them, um, and that that's fine. And people have changed my mind. I, I've, I, it's actually exciting to have your mind changed. And not to be embarrassed by it. And the only way you're going to be embarrassed by it is if you're sitting there beforehand saying you're right and, and there's no other way around it and, you know, sitting in a corner with a sword and defending your, your, your silly beliefs. If you're not doing that, it's exciting and fun to hear different ideas. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, so will this book make an impact I, I don't know, um, it, but if it impacts, if it impacts, uh, that was one of my questions. We're glad you asked yourself that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, yes, Robbie. What op- do you think will be the impact of this book, and how will it be looked at in the in the coming years? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, uh, I, I think I, the optimist in me, and the naive idealist would like to think that it could have significant uh, impact over over several years um i don't see it as having any notable noticeable immediate impact but i think that it has longevity i think that serious researchers hopefully would see this as a book that they would find value in coming back to repeatedly over over a number of years and that would have a a long would have a long-standing and subtle effect on on the way they approach the subject 
um, I think that's I think that's hopefully quite realistic. I don't yeah. think it will have I don't think it will have um, you know uh, an immediate revolutionary effect no. at all. Well, I don't think uh, anything think has I, an immediate revolutionary effect, really. Um, well, I don't know. Disclosure Project did in your in your in your photology. It did. Um, that's that, true. Um, things like that, because again, that's that's that that so clearly plays to a, a very clearly clearly defined conclusion and and uh, yeah, as, as Mac Tony's used to say, it's it's a it's a sexy and delicious idea that people can grab onto right away. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked we haven't talked about disclosure, have we? Disclosure is one of the recurrent themes actually in this book. Mm. Um, one of the themes is is yes is is religion and belief the idea of, of belief what we you know and the extent to which we blind ourselves but one of the themes also is you know a lot of the contributors do address the idea of disclosure and the problems inherent with the with the disclosure movement and um, and I've written about disclosure quite extensively in my other other work in the past um, so sorry my dog is just walking in and <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Looking for his, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll carry on. Monty. Um, Monty, yeah. Hi, Monty. Hi, Monty. Monty's looking for his water. Um, and uh, I've written about disclosure quite extensively in the past, and uh, I, I may as well just touch on it here briefly because it's relevant to the book. Is uh, I don't discount the idea that there could be some sort of uh, official announcement from some official body potentially within the next few years about something relating to, to UFOs or extraterrestrials or whatever. I, indeed, I think in, in terms of, I, I think it's very likely that uh, in terms of at least microbial life uh, being discovered and announced, I think that's extremely likely probably within the next several years. Well, whether that will have any impact on the UFO field uh, in, in terms of actually legitimizing UFO research and bringing that into the mainstream, I think is is highly questionable. Um, because as MJ suggests in his essay, the moment that happens is that you, 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 ufological discourse or, or other the idea of alien contact becomes negotiated into the mainstream sciences and and uh, and ufology is essentially dead at that point because it can only ever survive as a subculture um, in opposition to mainstream ideology, um, but. But uh, I think that there could very well be some kind of an official announcement on, on either extraterrestrials or, more worryingly, on on alien contact um, and and visitation. Uh, and I say worryingly because if there are any statements made by official power structures over the next several years or in our, in our lifetimes or beyond, um, certainly within several years, I think one should view those statements and announcements with extreme suspicion yes uh, uh because they will not be <laughs> you know, disc- disclosure is defined by steve bassett you know and, and people like Stephen greer is, is an announcement by or more more steve bassett nowadays is uh the idea that some official body makes an official announcement uh about alien life um and usually the idea that we are not uh, not not just microbial but spacecraft and ongoing interactions with humanity etc people who've heard my stuff before will know what i think about this and it's addressed very eloquently by a number of 
writers in the book. Um, but yeah, I think suffice to say when it comes to statements, the disclosure type statements from any official body, they should just be thrown out the window viewed with extreme suspicion. Um, because the truth of this phenomenon or phenomena, whatever it they represent, it will simply not be found in a government file. It will not be found, you know, it will not be handed to us on a saucer shaped platter, uh, it will. It requires each of us, I think, as Miguel suggests, to do our own work. It's it's so much more complex than any government could understand. Yeah. Um, although they have high technology, our governments, if you know, although you know, all the U.S. government has shiny weapons and brilliant geniuses working in in fancy facilities, they are ultimately still monkeys. We're we're extraordinarily primitive species, um, and. Uh, as we're constantly on the brink of self-destruction, we are monkeys with machine guns and, uh, and atomic weaponry. And uh, I just, we just we have not even come close to understanding our universe and uh, we've not even scratched the surface. And UFOs are symbolic of, of all that we don't know about everything that surrounds us. And, uh, and, and, and I just don't believe that anyone on the planet has a full or even close to comprehend you know full comprehension or close to comprehending what what this phenomenon actually represents and so all, all we can do is is to is to look at it as individuals and and uh and to try and find our own answers we won't find any satisfactory ones probably within our lifetime and maybe ever but i think it's important to look anyway yeah it's it's transformational the thing i've said about the disclosure thing for a long time is they want to hear what they want to hear from daddy if it, mm-hmm. they don't hear what they want to hear, it's going to be a cover-up, which is, yeah. you know, it, it, it's so, it's so, what's the word, um, self-negating, you know. <laughs> they don't even realize how self-negating the thing is. And like, you know, we said a little while ago, it's just such a, it's such a sexy idea that it's, it's very attractive to most people. So, but I think the, the, the point of this book is to say, look, you know, let's take a step back and see that, you know, let's look at the less sexy ideas and realize that some of, you know, the, the wallflower sitting in the back can be actually be very attractive if you look at, look at the wallflower in a different way and, and in a different light and um, with, with an idea towards uh, opening up the debate, you know, or reframing right. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Cool. And uh, I've never had Robbie on the show. I don't know if I'll ever have him on again, although I'd like to. We'll see after you do a whole bunch of interviews for the book how you feel. Um, all, the other thing I wanted to do was have a roundtable of some of the writers from the book, and you're certainly welcome to come back and, and join that, too. A, a few of them su- suggested Susan and and uh, Miguel and uh, Ryan and a few other people. MJ have suggested that we have a book roundtable, too, when the when the book comes out. So I, I really do want to do that. So you're perfectly welcome, of course, and encouraged to come and join that as well. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, first time guest, always the guest gets to pick the outro music. Oh, really? Like, Oh, oh I had no idea. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't, I spring that on people and they go, um, uh, uh, wait, give me a second. It's like, well, that's what editing's for. Oh, is this going to be edited out? All of the, all of me stumbling around trying to figure out what I want to play. Is that yes, you can. You can out? take ten minutes to decide what you want. I don't mind. <laughs> oh, oh, hmm. And I haven't gotten in trouble yet for doing for playing anything that's kind of. Does it have to be alien related? It does, no, it has to be something you like. Oh, that's. 
exciting. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> I often play stuff at the end of the show that has nothing to do with what we just talked about, just because the guest said, I want to hear, you know, whatever it is. Or I want my show to end with whatever it is. And if I don't have it on, you know, well, we got YouTube, so it doesn't matter. But I, I used to pick it off my um, my 8,000 uh, title strong uh, iTunes list. But yeah, anything you want. Oh, my God, Greg. Um and there's there's the sirens just to let everybody know that this is Radio Mysterioso. Can I not like email it to you in a minute? <laughs> yeah, you could do that too. I can and do I'll, that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say which song would you like and uh, quite a serious decision. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a serious decision. If you if you're asking all, all your listeners to 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 have me represented in a single song. That's uh Well see then that this is an incentive you for you to come back on another time so you can pick a different song. But yeah, whatever you want is is totally fine. I'm gonna email I'm gonna email you in ten minutes. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great, thanks. All right. Thank thanks so much, Robbie, and um really looking forward to the book and may, mostly looking forward to what people think of it because I, I I and all the contributors have read what's in the book so far. Well, thank you, Greg. Thanks for everything. And yeah, I'm fully expecting haters <laughs> i think we're going to thrive on the on this this hater uh thing actually it'll give us a perspective of um you know what's being presented and is it was presented in the right way and all that i what i'm really looking forward to is constructive criticism which will be mm. extremely small segment of what people say yeah yeah The summertime has gone And the leaves are gently turning Yeah, my love, I want to take To the place Hard and yearning Where'd he go? Where's he go?